0: Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burnt Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burntorangenation.com. Before we get started, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a ton get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it's Google Play, Stitcher, whether it's Spotify, which we're at now, which is fantastic. Uh, we leave us a rating or a review. Feel free to interact with us on Twitter or via email at Pod and LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Also, an exclusive offer for our listeners, our podcast host, Podiant, is offering you a free 14-day trial of their premium services and 25% off your first three months of a premium membership. All you have to do is sign up at podiant.co. That's P-O-D-I-A-N-T dot C-O and use the offer code LONGHORN. Again, that gets you 25% off an already affordable premium membership. And they handle all the technical stuff that goes into starting up a podcast, giving you an RSS feed, sending it out to the podcast hosts, making sure it gets out there weekly. You you just record every and- edit post it and they handle the rest so check them out p-o-d-i-a-n-t dot c-o use the offer code longhorn we love to see what you can produce in the podcast world well my name is gerald Goodrich. i'm your host this week like i am every week and i'm joined by the illest the realest a man who is just so into facebook breaking news kyle carpenter kyle how are you man you
1: know, I, uh, it may be no one but my mom who can see it, but, uh, I don't know that that necessarily matters when you break the news on Facebook. So, uh, moving on, we will not spend too much time there, man. I'm great. Uh, I had a, a wonderful weekend actually wishing my mom, uh, shout outs to, uh, to Jill, uh, wishing my mom a happy birthday this weekend And our, back in our hometown, back in central Texas and sniffing distance of, uh, of Austin. So, uh, it was good back in Houston, settled in, um, you know, it's good. Always family is always a good weekend. How, how are you, G?
0: Man, I'm I'm doing well, and I'm I'm really I'm glad that we can uh, verify that it was indeed your mother's birthday, and that we had good sources that it was your mom's birthday this weekend. So felt good to me.
1: <laughs> uh, b- b- breaking breaking news. Actually, it's uh it's it's been told that uh, that my dad my dad actually uh, is the one who broke it to me that it's my mom's birthday. So breaking
0: news dads are always good for that my wife added all of family birthdays on my calendar which is great again no need no need for you know third-party verification on things that we report uh, if we have good sources but we'll (laughs) we'll move right along uh if you if you know what's going on there's some weirdness with the ohio state situation and tom herman got pulled into it by someone loosely called a beat writer i suppose uh and and we'll just we'll just leave it at that let's Let's just move on. We'll
1: we'll leave it. How about we'll leave it at this? He's only a beat writer in the sense that uh, Tom Herman made sure Boy got beat. All right, now we're done. We're done with that.
0: (laughs) Tom Herman won. Ohio State message board, zero. All right, so we've got some football news for you. Uh, We'll dive into a Kansas preview. Had a really good conversation with that, and then we'll have some basketball news, and obviously we'll close the show out with some bang the drum. So Texas is in fall camp. Football is just a few weeks away, uh, and one of the tough parts about football fall camp are injuries. So Texas had three big injuries this weekend. Um, I'm going to struggle with this name all season, but linebacker Ayodele Adoye did I get that? I hope I got close. I went down with a non-contact knee injury and then, um, defensive backs, Devonte Davis and DeMarvian Overshone uh, both went down with some sort of, uh, some injury as well. The school announced on Friday. Uh, it's big news because again, um, Doye is what I'm going to call him and Overshown both taking snaps at linebacker, which is already a thin position with Freeman transferring out. Uh, Anthony Wheeler is out the first half of Maryland, a carryover from last season after a targeting call in the bowl game, which is just weird. DeMarco Boyd's out for the car accident situation we talked about a few weeks back. Uh, Kyle it's starting to feel like linebacker is going to be this year's offensive line. Is that, uh, is that me just, you know, having some PTSD symptoms of what happened last year or, or is the linebacker crew going to be that paper thin this year?
1: Um, you know, I think, I think it's interesting and, and, uh, we will certainly go into a good deal of depth on this next week in our, our kind of preview episode. But I do think that, we have one of those positions groups on each uh, on each set of of the field on offense and defense that really will determine probably how well the others play, um, and you know there's so much talent in that defensive backfield. Like you said, Overshone was actually. Um, not superfluous by any means, but had the ability and is big enough to work with that linebacker group. Um, So we have a good coach in Orlando that I think, you know, has an ability with some other weapons, but, you know, I think the linebacker group, how good they play really affects how much the other uh, stars on this defense can shine. Um, I do think, however, we're in a little bit better position just with the stars and the talent that we have in that group comparatively to last year's offensive line. We basically had, Connor Williams as a guaranteed star. Vahe as, you know, a pretty good entity, but, you know, really as an entity next to a guy like Connor Williams. So you lose that, that Connor Williams, and then, you know, the whole, the whole Jenga thing uh, just falls. I do think that Gary Johnson, he, although he's a little nicked up, is going to be fine um, in time for Maryland. And, and um, I, I think that he is going to, like we talked about be a monster this season. I think once you get Wheeler back, you know, you have a great piece there. Um, Obviously you got, you got Roach who, uh, you know, can play, can move around. Um, And then, you know, a guy who's going to have to step up. And then I think rightfully so, um, who, I mean, he's, he's a guy who other schools make, you know, recruiting highlight videos about is Jeffrey McCullough. So um, I think, uh, or no, sorry, that was Brandon Jones. I take that back. Uh, But Jeffrey McCullough, the shark um, is a guy who, uh, who, Really had a lot of hype in that same class. I think they committed a couple of weeks within each other, so I completed, but had a lot of hype and and hasn't really put that on Saturdays yet. Um, so you know th- maybe in some way this is an opportunity. There's talent uh, in this linebacking group. It's it's top heavy for sure, um, but there's talent, and so I think it's a little bit, a little bit of a different situation than where the line was, you know, for for last season.
0: This is where that red shirt rule comes into play because a guy like you know Byron Vaughn who. Probably won't see a ton of playing time this year if they need some depth along that linebacking crew, at least in the first couple of non-conference games. A guy like Byron Vaughn, who's super talented but maybe probably needs a year to to get some feet under his belt, can play because you can play in four games and now still keep your shirt. So that, uh, to me, is a big development. And I'm interested to see uh, the linebacking crew. It's definitely one of those. I'm just going to say this to be maybe controversial. It feels like the sec where like the first three guys are really good. And then, you know, that the depth, you got to figure it out. Every, any given year, it could be really good or any given year. It could be interesting. So I think that linebacking crew right now, there's a ton of talent there, but it's all unproven and untested. I mean, at this point, uh, beyond kind of those first three guys you mentioned, it's going to be interesting to see what this linebacking crew shapes out to be. But again, if he can, again, and injuries are a thing you have to deal with, and a thing that you you know have to um, you have you have to deal with the hand that you're played. And I think you know the defensive coaching staff is good enough, I think, to compensate, um, especially once the conference play gets in a gets in a gets in a play. I guess is a weird way to say that when you reach conference play and you end up probably running more of a three-two-six anyways with you know, the passing schemes are going to be seeing. Uh, so you get a little more flex in the linebacking room, at least.
1: Yeah. And, and we don't, yeah, I, I think, I think like you said, our out of conference is tough. It's not easy by any means, but I do think the team is going to be really focused for this Maryland game. And, and, you know, they're going to be ready to where this is, this is not something that I think is going to, going to absolutely throw our season off for the beginning. It really, really that USC game is where, I'm hoping we get we get we get a full healthy team because that's gonna be a big one
0: speaking of health in a, a position that's actually pretty healthy for the first time in what feels like i guess really only two seasons but beyond that uh, feels like a decade the running back spot so uh twenty four seven sports is reporting kind of a at least through the first week of fall practice running back je- depth chart looks like uh daniel young is is getting most of the ones uh, and then you know Cal transfer trey Watson coming in with the second snaps, and then a guy that you and I assumed would be in the mix and, and clearly is, is Keate Ingram coming in at three. So, you know, our, our friends, fourth quarter Porter and the others are uh, sadly being kind of moved and shifted down the depth chart. So um, does this backfield give you any sort of inspiration uh, to be excited about the, the running game in, in 2019 or 2018?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think certainly that's three guys who are, who are NCAA college football you know uh, at level or replacement level or better which is a good start um, I do think that you shouldn't count any of the other guys out I, I don't think that this is only gonna be a three-man unit again we, we talked about Kirko grinds uh, and and uh, Kirk Johnson that isn't just some of the some of the guys who need to show it right have all the talent in the world um, and and need to uh, need to just show it and, and be consistent in that way. So if they start having, you know, Herman puts a lot of stock in the good kind of weeks of practice. If they start showing what they can do, then I think they get a chance. But I mean, I think the thing that you're salivating about is that Keontae Ingram is third, and we all know that talent-wise he could easily, by the end of the season, be one. So just the fact that, that Trey Watson and Daniel Lung are, are looking good enough um, that they're holding holding him back I think is is a good sign for... The overall kind of health check of, of that uh, of that position group. So to me, that's it's nothing but an encouraging sign.
0: Absolutely, and for the first time and again, like I said before, it feels like a decade. There's a lot of depth in that running back room, where there were years where there was one guy. You know, you had the the Jonathan Gray years, you had the Malcolm Brown years, and there was some overlap there. You had the Deontay Foreman years. So you've got you've always had the guy, but there's never been the depth. And so I think having you know, three, four, five guys that when the when it's time when it's their time to tilt the rock, they can do it is is a good thing. And so I think the fact that it is a competition for again what feels like the first time in such a long time, I'm excited because competition breeds better play. Because if you yep. if you if you want to be the guy and you know what, Trey Watson is clipping nipping at your heels, I'm yep. going to play better. If the freshman is coming out and has a better practice than me and I start to feel like he's nipping at my heels, you better believe I'm going to come out and give it as much as I can the next the the next practice. So I think that, for me, is going to elevate the play. Now, again, this all hinges on is the offensive line going to be able to hold up for 12 to 13 games of a beating uh, to, to give these running backs room to work. But the fact that there are – legitimately five guys that could probably and have some starting experience in in a big 12 backfield is is a promising sign for me
1: yeah let's uh let's move the ball in all the ways that it's possible to do it and uh and and then i'll be i'll be excited and i'll be ready to toot all these guys horns. but it is promising i'm, re- I'm ready to see it
0: last bit of football news um chris del conti continues to make some positive changes for fans we'll talk a little bit more about some of the game day experiences and bang the drum but um del Conte is working with the board of regents to uh rework the south end zone which probably has needed it for at least a decade since i was there even before um so the board of regents approved the 175 million dollar south end zone project del Conte says that he already has about 80 million dollars of backing for that so one Holy Moses that 's phenomenal, but two <laughs> as as Texas continues to try to um, you know look outwardly like the Joneses that that Texas is because i 've always said it, and I will even when Texas is bad, apparel sales prove that we're the Joneses uh, what does this do for you? as far as the direction that I think Del Conte and Herman are trying to take this program. I
1: mean, there there is legitimately going to come a point that, that my parents and, and my girlfriend and, and those around me start to question, you know, if my love for Chris Del Conte has, has eclipsed them. Um, I, I don't know if I can love this man more. He's just so utterly perfect. Uh, by the way, we're Facebook friends now. I know you listen to the pod. Thanks, Chris, for, for adding me. Um, you know, I uh, the, I mean, just just from the fact that the guy – says something and that does so well first of all to have ideas to, to be an ideas guy i mean I'm, I'm a consultant for me the most important thing that that i sell is just an idea i can come in and i can i can throw some brain you know energy into the room and and, and then you know we'll figure out how to execute it but just being able to think out of the box a little bit is sometimes, you know, that invigorating, you know, thing that really gets, you know, a stale, dormant organization you know to the next level. So um, I think in that sense, he's just incredible. But then his execution, like he says, yeah, this is what I did before or, hey, I've never thought about this. No one has. But let's go and do that and then he does it it's the it's the following through with it that um i think is is really unbelievable i mean the guy has raised he says eighty million dollars and it seems like he's got like half a mil a day that he's been on the job or, or or more i mean unbelievable uh at every aspect of of the job require uh requirements so i mean just I love CDC, and that it's going to be very cool. Uh, every time I see these images of what that could look look uh, could look like, and and you know will look like, it seems like that uh, I, I just get really excited. It it truly, as an alumni, makes me excited to go back to more games. You know, those season ticket packages, even though it's a a three hour drive, look more and more
0: appealing every every week. This to me feels like the the secret sauce for for me, at least as far as the outward image of what Texas is and can be and should be Uh, Herman's vision for what the football program can be. I mean, coming in and saying these, these facilities are out of date. Let's get Mm -hmm. them moved up. And then the new athletic director who basically said the same thing, these facilities are out of date. This is the university of Texas and we need to look and act and feel like the university of Texas. Uh, And I, again, you and I have talked about it on the podcast before we are firm believers in look good, feel good, play good. And so I think at some point this is going to start paying dividends at least in my mind because when a when a recruit walks into that stadium and sees what that stadium is and sees the locker room and and Texas finally strings enough wins together to be worth watching the it'll just continue to to become this recursive cycle of Texas can finally get back to the point where it selects rather than recruits, which is what Mac Brown did for so long, and it worked really well for a couple of years, and then bit him in the keister toward the end. But <laughs> I think probably Herman won't get as lazy with his talent uh, talent development evaluation as uh, rumors say Mac and his staff did toward the end. That's another podcast. But this is this is what Texas needs to be. Texas is the flagship university of the state of Texas, and so as the University of Texas. You have to look the part.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it. It's it's been a nice little thing where we, you know, we act like we really are of the people, and we let everyone else play a little catch up. But now we we do the thing for the next twenty years where we blow everyone else out of the water, you know, and and that will be fun. So this will be a fun twenty years. You heard it here first. Twenty. That's impressive.
0: <laughs> we are astoundingly nineteen days away from football season, which is just. Amazing to say. Uh and that means we are on our last of our season preview series previewing the Kansas Jayhawks who will close out the Texas Longhorns regular season schedule. So we have the honor and privilege to have Andy Mitz, managing editor over at Rock Chalk Talk joining us today to give us a little bit of Jayhawk love and Andy. Thank you so much for taking some time out uh to speak with us today.
2: Yeah, no problem. Despite what most of the fan base will tell you, there are you know a few of us that are K U football fans that actually do enjoy talking about it um, as, as painful as it can be at times
0: you know you have to you have to enjoy the the tough times in order to enjoy the good times
2: exactly you know I'm also a Kansas City Royals fan and I lived through the uh, the 2000s so I, I know what it takes to be a fan of a very very bad team over a long period of time so
1: a
0: glutton for punishment <laughs> yeah for some reason I'm not sure why <laughs> I will say it took a lot of me to not Sing Lord right there, but we'll just move on. So uh, we'll have, we'll have, for those of you that don't, I uh, haven't listened to our podcast before. Or if this is your first one of these interviews. Uh, the way this will work is we'll just ask some questions. We'll have a conversation because, you know, Andy knows the Jayhawks better than Kyle and I can even pretend to know uh, the Jayhawks. We want to get some insight from from somebody that's got their finger on the pulse. So. I think we have to start with the head coach. I think that's probably a pretty uh, hot topic nowadays. So, uh, the head coach, uh, David Beatty, is 3 and 33 over the last three seasons, which one of those three is a win over Texas, which we'll just get that out of the way first. Can yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't bring it up? I
2: was going to, because we take every <laughs> opportunity we can
0: that up so so does, so does everyone on reddit and every message board ever uh but it's fine you know <laughs> what you, you are who your record says you are and texas has lost to kansas in football in the last decade so let, let's just start with that how hot is the seat right now uh for for your head coach well you know um if, if you'd
2: asked me probably about a month ago i probably would say it wasn't very hot but at that point um we still had shane zinger as the athletic director when he got fired the signal that that sent immediately was that, you know, he has not done what he was supposed to in bringing the football program back. And that immediately um, put the, you know, put Beatty on the hot seat. Everybody had thought Beatty was completely safe because Zanger has already has had multiple times said he had complete confidence in what, in what Beatty was doing. Um, you know, there really was no indication that Zenger was going to get a third football coaching hire Um, And so basically, you know, as long as Zenger was there as the athletic director, there was no way Beatty was going anywhere. Um, But, you know, if Beatty got fired, then Zenger was probably going with him. So you knew that Zenger wasn't going to fire him on his own. Um, Once Zenger got fired, everybody, there was a lot of speculation about whether Beatty might have even been fired before the season started. Didn't really make a lot of sense, just given the time frame of when that, that change at athletic director happened. But... Everybody has acknowledged that Beatty, you know, really has to show something this year to even have an have an opportunity to keep his job. Um, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that that he's probably leaving after this season. Um, again, you know, Jeff Long has said all the right things for Beatty in terms of he's going to give him a true evaluation. I I could make an argument if Jeff Long decides that he wants to keep Beatty for whatever reason that he's seeing something that we haven't seen yet from him, but. You know, I, I mean, short of making a bowl game, um, I, I'm not really sure what there is that Beatty can do to keep his job, um, you know, unless the, the team just completely overperforms any kind of expectation.
1: Yeah, that, that's what I was going to ask is kind of bringing a guy from Arkansas. He's going to want to win in football. I mean, of course, basketball is a whole nother thing, but he's going to want football wins. Uh, is there a number? I know you said a bowl game, but is there a number like if you hit that, it would shock you utterly if uh, if, if action is taken?
2: So, if if he makes a bowl game, if he even gets the six wins to become bowl eligible, right. Um, right? I would I would honestly probably be shocked that he gets fired. Gotcha. Just because at that point they will have shown some sort of improvement, um, you could easily say, oh hey, wait a minute, you know, new athletic director. Maybe Zinger was really holding Beatty back, or maybe Beatty finally learned what he needed to, or was finally getting the support from the athletic director to to overcome the challenges that he, that he's shown. The fact that Beatty has no head coaching experience previously before he, he got this job. And in fact, he wasn't even a coordinator anywhere. You know, he was, he was kind of an an out of left field hire in the first place. Um, You know, there was a lot of questions going in, whether he would be able to develop the skills that he needed to be a successful head coach. And we have yet to see any of that kind of development, but I could easily be convinced, especially if he shows something this year that Zenger wasn't giving him the kind of support he needed or wasn't giving him an honest assessment of what he was doing. Um, Which We've talked about it on our podcast a lot that Beatty seems to not understand what it is that they're doing wrong and he just thinks that the results are just bad luck. Because he constantly talks about the guys on the field doing everything that they're supposed to do and they're just not getting the results. Um, you know, it, it, it screams to me as a guy that just doesn't know how to evaluate his own program, doesn't really know what he's doing wrong. If he makes a drastic turnaround, that tells me that something's changed. Either he, he realizes what, what is going on now? He's willing to take responsibility for it. Um, or he's now finally getting that support that he needs from the athletic director. So, so yeah, if he makes the bowl game, I think I, I would be shocked if you got rid of him because that's a huge improvement. The fan base is going to be ecstatic at this point. I think you could make an argument that he should stick around if they were to get four wins this year. Um, one, that is an improvement. You know, he will have more than double right. his win total. Right. Um, but... You know, as long as it's not something like you win the first four games beating a Baylor team on the road, um, you know, that that struggles mightily all year long um, and then get blown out the rest of the year. Like if they get the right. four wins that way, he's gone. There, there's absolutely no way. But if if they get to four wins, they pick up a win again, you know, like shock a, a team like Iowa State or Kansas State or, or beat Texas Tech or something like that, like a, a team that they probably have no, no business even competing against. And keep most of the other games reasonably competitive. Maybe get blown out by Oklahoma, you know, Texas, someone like that that you kind of expect to get blown out by, but stay competitive for a good portion of the year. Then I think you could make the argument that Beatty should stay because he has shown that development finally at that point. And we've seen multiple times where guys just they need you know four or five years, especially if it's their first major head coaching job, to to settle in and finally get it turned around. But I'm not really expecting that to happen. That's kind of just like that's what it would take, I think, to keep him. So,
0: well, three wins will put him ahead of Turner Gill and Charlie Weiss as as head coaches. So, um, true that that would be improvement at least from my in in my. So, I guess I, I guess the question then becomes like, you know, when you look for a guy, if if you know the 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 almost inevitable thing happens, what what's what does the next head coach need to do to turn this thing around? Because Mangino is able to do it. That's a name that, you know, maybe you have good or bad things to say about. Um, but what, is, what does it take to turn that around? Like, what was Mangino doing differently um, other than maybe some, some awkward coaching practices to, to get it done? <laughs>
2: well, really what it comes down to is Mangino knew what he was talking about as a coach. I mean, the end of his, the end of his tenure, there's, there's still some open questions about how much of you know, the accusations there were overblown. Um, there was definitely some bad blood between him and Lou Perkins at the time. And Perkins was looking for an excuse to get rid of Mangino, especially when he lost those last seven games. If, if, if those accusations had come out and Mangino had, was just coming off of like a nine and three season um, or or like a nine and four season with a bowl loss or something like that,
1: right.
2: I, I don't think he would have been fired. You know, they were looking for a reason to get rid of him. Uh, I'm sure that there is definitely some, some truth to what he did, uh, you know, and, and, and what he was accused of, but I, I do believe that that was a little bit overblown, but really the main difference between Mangino and everybody since is that Mangino one was a motivated guy who really thought he could have success here at Kansas and was committed to doing everything he could to make that happen. And two, he knew how to be a head coach. He knew how to do what he was supposed to do. And he, and um, you know, Turner Gill, I think was, was over his head, too much of a player's coach at the time to, to be to be competitive in a major program. Um, now, you know, he he may have developed since then. I, I hear he's starting to do some good things again down at the lower levels. Um, but, you know, he he definitely wasn't ready for the position at the time. Charlie Weiss at that point had kind of just given up. He was trying to collect a paycheck. Um, you know, he he was a little bit too honest about his roster at times. And, and basically everybody could tell that he was really just there to get the money. Um, you know, <laughs> there's. Way, way too many Charlie Wise quotes for me to really take seriously the fact that he really thought he could win here. Um, and then, and then Beatty, you know, the, the problem that Beatty has is that he just doesn't have the experience. He doesn't know how to run a program. So if we can get a guy that can run a successful program that, that has done it before at whatever level, um, but, but, you know, is able to, to, to deal with the task of playing in a major five, in a, in a, in a power five conference. Um, you know, that, that guy could be successful. It doesn't necessarily need to be a guy that has a big tracker. Obviously, the top of everybody's list is a guy like Les Miles or something like that, you know, who is out of coaching right now, is interested in getting back in. Um, Belima is another one, um, especially with that connection with Jeff Long. So, you know, th- those are those would be like the, the dream guys, guys that have shown they can build programs that really know what they're talking about. Um, but there's plenty of other guys that have shown promise, um, especially with a, what I would say, a very competent um, athletic director who has shown that he knows how to put the resources into a football program and build it. Um, You know, despite all the issues that Jeff Long had uh, that, that ended up getting him fired, you know, he made a lot of good decisions. He knows, he he knows how to build a program. He's shown that time after time. So I'm not worried about that. You get a coach that has what he needs to be able to build a program. and, And I think that you can have success even at a place like Kansas. The problem is we just haven't had any coaches that have the the fundamentals and have the basics that you need in order to be a successful coach.
1: Well, and so I think there's there's one thing between the headsets and there's a whole kind of other thing on the field. And so I guess we'll we'll jump a little bit into there to see what whoever the coach is whether it's Beatty this year going forward or a new coach coming in next year starting with this season um I mean w- what we've done kind of cuz it's the Big 12 is start right at the top with the head of the snake for most of most of the teams in the conference is the quarterback um it, it seems like and tell us if we're right, maybe Peyton Bender has the lead right now, but he he did kind of, uh, he has some experience, but also has some struggles. Um, is he the guy to come in and and take the snaps this year, or uh, what, what's the quarterback battle look like heading into the season?
2: Well, it, uh, I mean, quarterback battle at this point, mainly because I just don't think that uh, Beatty is willing at this point to to name a starter. Um, we all have some very strong opinions of who we think should, should starting. And we've got, you know, uh, Jay, Jayhawk fans are really divided on, on who they think. Uh, we've seen a lot from Bender and Stanley, um, and, and are kind of wanting to see if there's anything else out there in, in miles Kendrick. The problem is we've done this multiple times with Bender. We did it with Stanley, you know, we've done it with, with guy after guy, after guy, um, the, the, the main problem we have is that I just don't think that our quarterbacks are being set up for success. I would agree with you. I think, you know, if, if I had to pick one now, I think that Peyton Bender is the guy that starts, uh, mainly because he has the experience. He probably is the, has the most uh, gifted arm and has the, the best throwing ability of any of the guys out there. Um, part of that though, is that, I, you know, we haven't really seen much of miles Kendrick. Um, you know, he wasn't really in a program where you could go look at his film from where he was before or anything like that. So it's hard to really know what you have in miles Kendrick. But I do think um, that, that Kendrick would be the guy that would take over if it's not Bender. Um, I, I personally wouldn't mind seeing Kendrick just to kind of see what we have, but I'm yeah. also not under any illusion that he's going to come in and magically fix the position um, because he's more athletic or anything like that. Like, if if they do get that quarterback play turned around, um, it's going to be because of other positions like the offensive line. Um, and, and part of that kind of cynicism for me is the fact that we've seen multiple KU quarterbacks go off to other programs, transfer from here, and then end up starting for their new team, actually playing pretty well. Montel Cozart um, yeah. did, did really well going to Boise State. We've got uh, Ryan Willis, who's now over, I believe, at Virginia Tech, um, who, who has actually a decent shot at being the starter coming out of their camp. So we've seen multiple guys transfer from Kansas, um, guys that we thought were going to be big contributors. And they really are becoming big contributors at other programs.
0: And I think that's, that's a, that's a struggle that it's, it's hard to get around because you can't find consistency when, when you've got guys that are in and out. And you mentioned, you know, in that, that the quarterbacks haven't really been set up for success. And you mentioned the offensive line, they give up 29 sacks and 92 tackles for a lot of loss a year ago. Um, so what is, what is that group shaping up to be for this year? Have they, have they done much to improve? Cause again, <laughs> any any good quarterback, even if, if they can't stand up for longer than three seconds, uh, is is not going to have a chance.
2: Yeah, I, I wish I could say that there was a lot to look forward to for the offensive line. Um, there are a few new guys that have come in, but the guy that we were expecting to be the starting center, um, Mesa Ribordi, he, uh, he got injured partway through the season last year. We thought we were going to have a back for Guinea this year, but he ended up he had to call it quits um, because of medical uh, issues. So we don't have him. Um, you know, we've had a lot of turnover on the line. We actually didn't even have a spring game, and the reason for that was we didn't have enough healthy offensive linemen to be able to field two teams worth of offensive linemen. So yikes. we're very very thin, um, especially because of injuries. And we just had uh, Jacoby Lott, one of the the promising freshmen that came in. Um, I believe he's a freshman. one one of the promising guys that the newcomers who uh, apparently had some sort of uh, major medical issue on the practice field just the other day. so we're we're extremely thin on the offensive line, and the guys that we're expecting to be the major contributors either aren't able to because of medical issues um or just haven't kind of come through the way we were expecting. So there's not a lot of hope. If there is any kind of hope on the offensive line, it's the fact that our new offensive line coach, um a j. Ricker, Uh, a a guy that that most recently actually coached for what would have been our biggest rival if they didn't decide to leave the Big 12 um, in Missouri. So that (laughs) kind of has rankled a few fans, the fact that we had to bring in a Missouri guy to try to fix our offensive line. Um, If he's able to do it, I mean, I I would definitely welcome it if if he could get stuff going and we could actually have a successful line there. But, um, you know, I'm not sure that even he can deal with the talent that we have there and, and all the medical issues and, and give us anything productive this year. Um, I, I do think it is, it's a possibility. We do have some talented guys, um, but the problem is with so much turnover and so many injuries, it's hard to get good chemistry. And if there's any position on the entire field where you need to have chemistry, it's between those five guys that are setting up the line. Um, you know, they, they have to be able to read each other. They have to be able to know the strengths and weaknesses of the guy next to them to know where they need to cheat a little bit to, to help pick up blitzes and things like that. Um, if they don't have a lot of time to work together, which is what we've been seeing as everyone gets shuffled in and out, we're going to have a really hard time protecting the quarterback this year. So there's there's maybe a glimmer of hope somewhere just with some of the new guys and, and with the new offensive line coach, but um, it's really hard to see them actually improving from last year.
1: Yeah. I'll say as a Texas fan, I certainly empathize. That's been, you know, our, our biggest problem for a for few of the last seasons. So I, I certainly feel and I wish you luck on the, uh, on the lines to come. But uh, there are bright spots, uh, I think, for sure. And, and um, one guy who, who I saw last year and kind of just looking at the stats really jumped off the page was, uh, of course, Steven Sims uh, Jr., kind of the the biggest standout or I guess threat on the, the Jayhawks offense had over 800 yards and seven TDs uh, last season. he's coming back like a lot of the team returning from last year. Um, Is he kind of instantly your go-to guy, your playmaker, you're trying to get the ball. What are expectations like for him?
2: Yeah, he's, he's kind of been the go-to guy on the offense for the last couple of years. Um, He's easily, I think our most talented offensive player, Uh, his speed, and really, just kind of everything that he's able to do. So I'm not, I'm not really um, expecting the offense to focus on anyone other than him. The problem is, um, you know, he again, he just doesn't have a quarterback that can really get him the ball. Which it's 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 honestly very surprising because you know we actually have been talking about this over the summer, um, kind of doing a review. He is um, not really well. He 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 had to have a career year this year in both receptions. Uh, I believe it's receptions and then touchdowns um, and potentially yards as well. But he is within striking distance, theoretically, of all of the major receiving records at Kansas, which is really hard to believe. One, because Desmond Briscoe, who holds most of the records, was just absolutely phenomenal. Um, you know, he's, he's got actually more than twice the number of touchdowns as, as uh, Steven Sims does right now. Um, or I'm sorry, as Kerry Meyer, who is the second um, on that list right now but the, but the the thing is you know the fact is his quarterback situation has been a lot worse than basically everybody else who's on the leaderboards for right. Kansas and so you know it's the fact that he's even within striking distance has been putting up these kind of numbers is phenomenal in of itself and it talks about the talent that he has so if 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 you're talking about who's probably the most talented offensive guy i would probably say it is Stephen Sims junior and if he can actually realize that potential with a quarterback that has the the time and the ability to get him the ball this year, he could be putting up a lot of big records all over the place. Um, I, again, I'm not really expecting that that to happen very much, just because it is Kansas that we're talking about after all. But we definitely, he's definitely talented enough to be a starting wide receiver on basically any team in the country, I think. So, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, he's not really the only offensive uh, player to keep an eye out for we do have a couple running backs um Khalil Herbert last year was uh had quite a few games where he was really explosive and and had a lot of opportunities unfortunately he he was dealing with a nagging injury after his huge explosion against West Virginia Um, there is a lot of expectation for him coming into the year though being able to kind of build off of that and then again it's going to come down to the offensive line opening up holes for him But there's, you know, there's a lot of hope there. There's a lot of, uh, I guess, really optimism that he's going to be able to do something, especially with some of the other guys that are are there. I would say our most talented position on the offense is probably at the running back. Um, You know, we have Herbert. We have uh, Anthony Puka Williams, a freshman that that came in. He was a four-star recruit. Um, He's expected to do some big things this year, too. They're definitely trying to get him worked in without overworking him. But, you know, Kansas surprisingly has a a history of a lot of good offensive running backs that have been able to put up some big numbers and then go on and actually do something later. So, um, you know, I I think they have the the talent this year. That's like, if there's going to be a surprise offensive player other than Sims, I think that it's going to come from the running back position.
0: I don't know if Sims would be a surprise, at least for anybody that's paying attention to yeah. Kansas, but uh, yeah, I would say
2: in that if he's able to live up to his potential that everybody knows he has, like it would be a surprise just because of everyone around him. But you're right. He himself wouldn't be the surprise. The fact that he's actually able to get the stats is what would, would be the surprise
0: for sure. And, you know, for, for me, you mentioned something in there that just makes me think, you know, Miles Kendrick may not be the most fleet of foot guy, but if you've got offensive line problems and you've got, you know, a, a wide receiver that you can kind of, you know, check it up or a running back that you can find in the open field, then I think offensively, at least in my mind, you got to put the guy out there with some wheels. Like we saw that last year with Texas's offensive line issues and, and opting for Sam Ellinger instead of Shane Bouchelle.
2: Yeah. And really, I mean, of the three quarterbacks that are on the roster, Carter Stanley probably actually has the best wheels in terms of getting away from pressure um, the main problem he has is that his arm strength just isn't there. He's not really that accurate down the field either. And so he can get out on a broken play, but then trying to get the ball downfield to a guy that can actually do something with it has is, is been the main problem. I think miles miles Kendrick is kind of in the middle there. He has a good enough of an arm that it's serviceable and he, he, he's, you know, got that escapability. He, he can kind of break out of the pressure and stuff like that, but he's not, that's like not really what he's known for. And so, You know, I I think Miles Kendrick is the closest we have to a complete package of a competent quarterback. The problem is he's going to be on a run so much that, you know, you might you might be saying, well, he, he breaks out of a play, but then can't make the throw downfield. And oh, well, well, Bender probably could have made that throw, but Bender probably wouldn't have been able to get outside of the pressure to be able to get set up for the throw. So I don't think there's anybody who is good enough as an overall package to be able to put up with what the offensive line is going to give
1: them this year. So I guess from the, uh, from the other side of the ball, the, uh, the defense, the good news is they bring back a lot of people and a lot of, I think individuals on that team who are, who are really, really quality. Um, The bad news is they bring back most of the defense that allowed uh, 43.4 points a game, the second most in the country. I think everyone must assume though they take a step forward this year um returning four, probably the top five guys right off the bat. What's the expectation this year for the defense? I mean, what gut check, where do you think they are? So I
2: definitely think that they'll be improved. Um, I always hate to be too optimistic with his team because they burned me so many times, but um, you know, bringing in a guy like Corian Harris, um, who's a, you know, the highest actually rated recruit that Kansas has ever had in, in program history. Um I believe that 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 that's still true, even though he was downgraded a little bit recently, but, uh, you know, he, he is definitely going to make a difference. If he's not starting, that means that there's a big problem somewhere, either in the coaching staff and recognizing talent and who should be starting, or he's just not been doing what he's supposed to in camp. Um, everything I've heard though, is that he's on track to start. Um, you know, we, we have some, some big names coming back. Mike Lee had some issues last year in the secondary, but he's probably the best, um, the best guy in the secondary and in terms of who's, who's returning. I um, mean, he was, he was actually played a huge part in that, in that Texas game that they won, um, you know, coming up with a bunch of huge hits uh, for that. And so that there was a lot of expectations He found him last year. Um, I do think though, given some of the quotes coming out this year and just like, some of the questionable moves and benching guys and rotating him in and out that, that there had to be something going on with that defensive coaching staff. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk this year about how the the communication in the in the in the defense is a whole lot better. Um, the, the fact that the communication was bad to begin with definitely speaks to coaching um, as opposed to the individual guys. Uh, I don't know that there's going to be too much of an improvement in terms of athleticism from these guys, but from everything that I've heard coming out of camp, they definitely seem to be. Um, understanding the defense a little bit better, they seem to be picking it up better. The coaches actually seem to be coaching them a little bit better this year. From everything I've heard, I do think it helps that a guy like Jadenine Jr. came back. Um, he has—he's basically the, the the main leader of this team. Um, you know, I think I think everybody agrees that he is the main captain of the entire team. Like, if if anybody yeah. on the team is going to listen to someone, it's going to be him. Um, having Daniel Wise back on the line is a big help. Um, you know, so we, we, we were lucky to get some of those guys back. Wise was considering going to the, to the NFL. And so was, uh, Dineen actually for a little while, but getting those two guys back actually gives us an opportunity to have a good defense this year. Um, good being a relative term, obviously. Um, you know, I don't think, I don't think most, most big 12 defenses are considered to be elite defenses at all, but you know, <laughs> I do think Kansas actually has a decent shot at being a, a upper half defense if the offense can actually stay on the field for longer than 20 seconds at a time so the
0: the the myth of the uh big 12 defense is being bad is a a whole nother podcast that we would have to talk oh i know i know (laughs) (laughs) oh man it's there's so much wrapped up into that but yeah so i mean Danine is it's hard to i mean i don't know how anybody could argue with him being not just like the heart and soul and the captain of the team, but being, you know, hands down one of the most talented guys on maybe either side of the ball. Yeah. You know, Steven Sims junior may be excluded from that, but nearly 140 tackles a year ago, like that guy, um, it seems like expectations would continue to be sky high and that he maybe if anybody on that side of the ball could help kind of shift the mentality and turn things around a bit.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, he, he got so many tackles last year, partly because of the way that the coaching staff decided to use the front line. Um, Dorrance Armstrong made a name for himself his sophomore year, uh, rushing the quarterback and really, really getting after the ball, um, you know, and, and really disrupting things in the passing game last year, they really wanted to use him to try to stuff the run. And he did a really good job with that. The problem was um, the way that they utilized him took away a lot of what he was doing. So um, it opened up a lot of holes in the middle at times it, it opened up a lot of problems and you know for for those underneath passes Denine was an absolute monster cleaning those up um, so a, a big a big portion of the problem there or I mean you, you can call it a problem essentially was Denine got a whole bunch of tackles because the rest of the defense wasn't really in a position to keep it from getting to him and So it was it was huge that he was able to get all those tackles You know, keeping the team from being even worse than it was. But um, one, I'm expecting the defensive schemes to be a little bit better this year, so he probably isn't going to get as many tackles um, as as he did, which would actually be a good thing because that means that we're stopping guys up closer. Um, But you know, I also think that there's going to be a little bit more of playing away from him at times, so he's just not going to get the opportunities. However, that in and of itself is a good thing because it allows you know, it it really it, it severely limits the playbook that the opponents can use um, mainly because of how well he can stretch across the field. He's definitely still going to be one of the top defenders um, probably in the conference, honestly. Uh, You know, I, I I was routinely seeing him rated of the best defenders in the nation by pro football focus uh, last year or yeah, I think it was pro football focus uh, that does the individual defensive rankings. Um, So there was constantly, a few Jayhawks that were up there Danine and wise and uh, Armstrong all of the time last year so I'm expecting that to continue um, you know there may actually be talk especially if, if the team is not horrid this year he may draw some serious consideration for one of the All-American teams on defense um, if he's able to continue to play that way I don't think he's going to end up getting that consideration just because I don't, I'm not expecting the team to be playing well enough and as we know those individual awards, no matter how deserved they are, if your team isn't at least close to 500, you don't even sniff any of those awards at all. So he could, he could, I mean, he is actually the top returning tackler in the nation coming into this year, which is crazy to think about, but uh, you know, that's, that is what it is. Um, He's not really going to get a sniff, I think, for any of the individual awards though, just because I don't think that the team is going to be good enough to warrant it.
0: With that, it may be it may be time for us to shift to something a little more lighthearted. Um, <laughs> What's but you mean? <laughs> no, so uh, we didn't prep you for this So this may be a little bit of that oh, right. uh, Pull the rug out from underneath you But on all these interviews we do a little thing We like to call overrated, underrated Or appropriately rated So basically we're going to just ask you a couple things Shooting from the hip uh, And we want to we want to see and get a feel for uh, Whether you again think they're underrated Overrated or appropriately rated So um, okay. Feel good? Sure all right, so these should be these should be fun. Uh, so uh, I guess the first one i'll I'll go overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated. Uh, Bill Snyder receiving a contract that basically guarantees he's gonna be coaching your rival until he is ninety years old.
2: Oh gosh, he's gonna be coaching there until he dies, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I just don't see any way that they let him go, um, given the old Ron Prince era, you know, and how horribly it went off the rails when he left. I don't think he wants to go anywhere, and I don't think that they're going to let him go anywhere. I do think it's a little, in terms of him continuing to coach, is a little bit overrated. Um, you know, he is a great coach. Um, I don't think he deserves though. I, I don't. I don't get giving him another five-year contract at this point. Um, one, I don't know that he's very likely to actually be able to finish it. Although, you know, he's, he's surprised me already. I would have thought he would have retired again a long time ago. Um, just because of some of the, you know, problems that he's had in terms of health issues, um, and just all of that. But, you know, if if you're Kansas State, what else do you do? I mean, you you haven't right. had a different coach that's been successful in a really long time. Now, you know, the the three years that Ron Prince was the coach were absolutely disastrous. So, I understand why they don't want to let him go. I think they would be much better served to have him be very vocal in the process of finding someone that he can hand the, the reins off to. Um, but I think part of the problem there too, is that he wants to hand the reins off to his son. And I don't think the administration wants to do that. So,
1: I, I was going to say, I think it's kind of like a queen Elizabeth deal. You know, it's uh, his son will be about 85 by the time he finally steps down. So uh, may only get it may, two years as King. <laughs> so uh we' we'll, we'll keep it going and, and this one I'm hoping uh you know get, gets you a little little worked up so overrated underrated or appropriately rated, and you can answer this in any metric you choose the uh the state of Missouri
2: oh gosh it's um you know what I would have to say appropriately rated I mean everybody knows it's helpful so I mean. <laughs> <laughs> About the only people that overrated are those that actually live in Missouri, so
0: <laughs> that I love that it. is succinct and beautiful. I love it. I love it. Exactly. Uh, we we are a podcast and really two people that subsist on just hating. So I love it. Uh so uh here's we go. Overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated. Uh got a Charlie Weiss securing the bag and then just kinda <laughs> running.
2: Oh gosh. Um, yeah, Charlie Weiss in general was overrated. The fact they wanted somebody <laughs> that, uh, you know, that had quote unquote good, ex- you know, the, the qualifications that you needed. Um, and, and we actually talked about this on, on, on our podcast that going from a guy like Turner Gill, who was the over, you know, the, the epitome of a player's coach and really was a, was a huge soft. They wanted to go to somebody who was a complete hard ass, um, in, in, in Charlie Weiss. And they got that. But, but what they also got was somebody who just didn't care. I mean, he did not care one bit about, you know, what his legacy was going to be or any of that. He, he was just after the money. So, yeah, I would, I would say Charlie Weiss is overrated. The fact that he, he was allowed to do that, um, especially since Notre Dame still kind of owed him <laughs> right, a lot right. at that point. Um, yeah, the, the people that made that decision, that was they were all overrated. Um, I, am not really sure how exactly to, to really answer that other than to say that Charlie Weiss, not.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it, like you said, to go from a, from a player's coach to, I think you could call him a banker's coach. Um, <laughs> Charlie Weiss knows how to well, get, well, not really. I
2: mean, with how much money he costs, I don't think a banker would really willingly give up that much money.
1: Well, no, it's the banker that he puts it into, I think. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I think he is finally done being paid by Notre Dame as of like last year. But uh, so the final one we'll end with here. Um, and remember, we do have listeners all over the world, but a majority of these listeners have very specific opinions on this specific topic. So just keep that in your in your mind. But if you want to light the fire, go go ahead. Overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated? Kansas City barbecue.
2: Oh, it's it's extremely underrated. I mean, you know, I, I would I would definitely say. that that Texas has has great barbecue as well but to say that you absolutely don't need any kind of sauce at all for your barbecue I think is completely wrong look I'm not saying you have to have it on everything and I definitely appreciate some good Texas brisket but you know to to completely disavow something like the the Kansas City barbecue sauce um, is completely ridiculous so I would I would have to rank it uh, Kansas City barbecue I think is easily the best. However, Texas barbecue is second, and it's not really that far behind. Um, like but that. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know I know everyone's gonna 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 you know have a lot of comments about this, but I definitely give it its its, its due. Um, I would I would have to say that both the the other two main styles, Memphis and then Carolina barbecue, are well well behind everything else um i I would put kansas city up top though which i know that most people won't um but texas really is not that far behind at all
1: you got to ride for your state but i am curious i mean i've never been and it's a long long time bucket list uh of mine if i go where do i need to what i mean give me one give me three whatever where do i have to go to get the true kansas city barbecue taste
2: Oh, gosh, how much longer do we have on this podcast? You know <laughs> I'm telling you, you literally could go pretty much anywhere in Kansas City and find a good place. There's, there's a bunch of places, and, and there really is no, no consensus at all. You know, People will throw around places like uh, Gates or Arthur mm-hmm. Bryant. A lot of the big places are, are good and good representatives yeah. of, of Kansas City Barbecue, but I wouldn't really call them the best. Um, uh, Joe's, Joe's Kansas City is, is, is pretty good. Um, but again, you know, it's it's one of the big names, and so I think that there's a lot of small places, and that's what I would actually recommend: would be going to find a place that really hasn't made a huge name for for itself, but is getting a little bit of local buzz. Um, the ones that are up and coming, unfortunately, I don't I don't live in the Kansas City area right now, so I'm not really sure who the who who the new guys on the scene are. But it seems like every year there's a new guy that that gets started out there and really does something a little bit different, just twists it just enough to kind of give it a new spin. Um, And and I think that's part of what it is about Kansas city is that Kansas city barbecue um, has really been kind of built on co-opting the best parts of other cities, barbecues and really kind of bringing it together. Like obviously the sweet barbecue sauce is the main thing that you identify with, with with Kansas city style barbecue. But you know, there are plenty of, of barbecue joints out there that, that are true Kansas city style that have good Good uh, rubs and and good smoked meats and all of that. Like they bring all the best things to you. The absolutely only thing that you will never find in Kansas City barbecue is a vinegar based barbecue sauce. That those those <laughs> things are just happen. So um, there's really not a lot of good stuff to take from Carolina barbecue except for the fact that they use pork a lot. Um, you know, so so Kansas City really is kind of like a meld of all of the other kinds of barbecue. It's just that they like their they like their molasses based sauce, and that's really all there is to it. And I know that really didn't answer your question, like to give you a, a specific place to go. I mean, you, you can't really go wrong going to, to, to Joe's, but, okay. uh, and, and a few other places like that, but I would definitely get up there and then like recommend, try some finding what's the, 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 the hottest new spot, because they're going to be doing something different. They're going to be doing something good. Um, and yeah. you know, you're going to have plenty of people that will tell you all kinds of different places. You asked, 20 different people and you'll probably get 30 different places to go. So you can be eating like <laughs> crazy there. Love uh, it.
0: <laughs> love it. Well, Andy, thank you so much for, for taking some time out, man. If folks want to interact with you, uh, where can they find you on the internet?
2: Yeah, so I'm on Twitter. It's at Mr. Double underscore brain. Um, long, long story on that. But essentially, uh, yeah, I, I grabbed that handle and finally decided I want to start writing. So I, I went ahead and kept it. Um, our our site is Rock Chalk Talk. We're also on Twitter at Rock Chalk Talk. Um, one of our our head basketball writer uh, actually runs the Twitter for us. He does actually pay attention to football sometimes, although <laughs> um, he's he's not afraid to make it seem like he doesn't. So um, yeah, you can definitely call him out on that at some point if he if he tries ignorance on on anything football related. But um, you know he's 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 a great guy running the Twitter there. We are pretty interactive on our Twitter. Uh, the website is rockchalktalk.com, um, but we've, we've got a great group of guys over there writing about KU. Uh, we actually are in the midst of, um, you know, counting down to the football season. Our, our, uh, our editor-in-chief over there, Mike Plank, he's been doing a, uh, a 100-day countdown where every single day he's been writing a football article. We've Unfortunately, I think we've come to the point where we're starting to run out of things to talk about. We've done a, a <laughs> whole bunch of planning, We've done a whole bunch of trying to drink the Kool-Aid after, (laughs) but we are definitely getting to the point now where we can actually talk about the season coming up, um, with a little bit more urgency, but there's a lot of great coverage there. There actually are Kansas fans that do care about football. Um, but we all also admit that once we get the basketball season, the football team is not really going to be good enough to care about anymore. So we'll all be paying attention to basketball. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll we'll definitely i'm i'm trying to think when that texas game is this year we might all be tuned out by that point but we'll at least uh jump back on to talk with you guys at that point so
1: sure it's uh it's at the very end so we'll both be getting ready for our bowl games yes
2: i like your
0: optimism (laughs) awesome well thank you so much again for coming on we really appreciate it so a bit of basketball news before we jump to bang the drum uh a little bit of worrisome news, but maybe not too bad. So, uh, Snoop Roach, again, who is back for this season, fantastic. Uh, the school announced that he has had surgery to repair a torn meniscus, uh, which is not great for a guy who's kind of known for his athleticism mm-hmm. and his ability to uh, cut and get to the hoop. But uh, they're expecting a full recovery. It's early. Uh, man, can Texas afford to lose much in that backcourt, especially with, uh, you know, with Andrew Jones' future still uncertain and a lot of just weirdness happening there?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it, he's saying all the right things. Kind of seems like the report's coming out saying the right things that, you know, he's, he's on the road to recovery and, and, um, and, and going to be going to make a full recovery and be fine. But, you know, it is always a little worrying. Um, my case study for this, and he may be just a freak human, but. Uh, when Russell Westbrook uh, had some knee issues, I was like, well, there there he goes. Um, but may somehow be more physically outstanding. So I, I'm not writing Red and Snoop off for sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it will be interesting. Uh, I think we're actually surprisingly pretty loaded at guard this year. Um, and, again, knowing what Jones does, we'll, we'll have a lot of how much I worry about this. Um, number one thing is we want Roach – We were ecstatic when he came back. We want him on the court. Um, but, I mean, with, like I said, Ramey coming in and, and ready to be a big guy, we obviously uh, have Coleman, um, who's, who I think is ready to, to take a leap um, and really, really be a, a, a very, very solid uh, kind of captain from the point guard position. Um, and then bringing in uh, Elijah Long, who, who sat out last year, but uh, really seems like he's he's got a lot of experience and, and a lot of talent. Um, we are, like I said, surprisingly ready... To take a blow like this, just from a depth perspective, but I hope that full recovery because we need snoop, we need all the experience, all the everything that he brings the dynamic dy- that's a hard word to say the dynamic ability um that he uh, that he possesses so i i I hope he's comes back a hundred and and then some, but
0: uh but we we should be okay if the absolute worst case, but I'm knocking on wood. Really quickly, speaking of Texas guards, um, the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, kind of found their their new LeBron James uh, in, in in Isaiah Taylor. So uh, the Cavs inked him to a two year deal. The guy uh, who did it did it, and he went to the G League and did his thing there, and now has found his way onto a couple of NBA rosters. So uh, it's good to see Texas guys in the league because. At the more of your your program that shows up in the NBA the better it is to recruit those NBA caliber guys
1: yeah and he he, he was a backup last year to Schroeder and the Hawks and, and got to play a little at the end of the year when he got hurt but didn't get a chance so um, I think with a LeBron size gap to fill you know there's going to be a chance for younger guys with long-term potential to get some action so I'm really hoping this can be this can be really good for a guy like Taylor who has a ton of upside he still has a lot of talent just needs to uh, translate that into success at the NBA level so excited for him I mean hey Texas guards and Cleveland worked pretty well before. Uh, Booby, you know, uh, D. Gibb really, uh, really uh, cut out
0: a nice career in that city. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Most of that was indeed with LeBron James, though. He had the LeBron James bump. Uh, so quickly, the NCAA has announced that they're making some weird changes to eligibility rules, maybe hoping to get some of the NBA caliber talent to come back for a year and not have to do the whole I didn't get drafted so I'm going to a foreign country to play for a year and try it again or the G League situation so they announced that elite players which whatever that term means uh, can hire an agent and or come back to school if they're not drafted or a lot of other caveats with that um, Kyle we're not really the the state of the union kind of, of podcast when it comes to uh, you know NCAA basketball but what does this do for guys who, like, again, a Snoop Roach who maybe uh, wanted to test the waters of the NBA but decided to pull out right before the the draft eligibility date was was up? I think this
1: is a um, hopefully well intentioned rule. I think I think um, the changes are in response to a lot of people saying we got to do something. Um, I don't know if it was perfectly thought out and and rolled out it did seem a little bit just kind of shotgun a little sporadic to to throw it out there um, what I was reports I was reading was that you know they're using something like a USA basketball to make that Kind of obscure determination of who is elite and can be subject to the hiring of an agent in the in the what I think is a great step and should have happened a long time ago is allowing players to return to return back if they don't get drafted. There's no reason, um, you know, except the the facade of amateurism that we can have a whole other podcast about. But there's no reason that they shouldn't have had that for years. Um, I think obviously a long way to go with transferring rules and, and things. There's there's things that still really need and they need to even work some kinks out on on this system they're proposing. But hey, I mean. Truly for NCAA, which has been slow to change and slow to respond um, and, and always kind of uh, responds after something you know terrible happens only with, with some changes. This is a little bit proactive. Um, so, you know, I, I think good for them with intention, but I do think it's a little bit uneven. So I'll be curious to see how this plays out. Um, I think even, even Coach Krzyzewski said the same thing, that this is uh, – well intentioned, but has has some has some work to do. So I, you know, I, I think we'll be very curious to see the evolution of this and where it goes in the, in the next months and and even years, and what college basketball looks like down the road.
0: I'm gonna have to pick my job off the floor. The NCAA rolled out a well intentioned but poorly executed ruling. <laughs> are are you are you serious? Are we are we talking about the same NCAA you and I? no, no so i i'm of the belief that the ncaa needs to be just burned to the ground and salt the salt the ashes so nothing can grow there ever again um it, but that's again another podcast that we're probably going to call the illusion of amateurism which is a fantastic podcast name Trademarked, it, gerald goodridge you heard it uh <laughs> but i i'm not the guy for blaming the one and done for what's wrong with NCAA basketball. I'm not the guy that honestly thinks one and done's should be a thing. If a guy wants to go to the NBA, let him again. These are, these are athletes who are making million dollar decisions and legislating that for me feels for lack of a better term, almost anti person. Like it's, it's, (laughs) It feels like you're limiting somebody's freedom to do what they want with their own talent, which is kind of the idea of the United States of America. If I'm going to get a little uh, patriotic there for a second. Uh, so to me, like I'm not a big fan of not, now. Granted, I'm not also a fan of a guy saying, well, do I want to go? Do I not want to go? Like sometimes you got you to gotta go or get off the pot, but. Giving players an avenue to see what their valuation is and get what they're worth because, again, there's a shelf life on all of these guys. And basketball is not as violent of a sport as football, but we all saw what happened to Sean Livingston. We all saw what happened to Brandon Roy. Like we've seen these things where, again, an athlete has a shelf life. And so giving them an opportunity to try to monetize earlier is not a bad thing in my book.
1: Uh, the quickest of rejoinders. I think that the biggest impact as I think about it just now that hopefully this will have is it may just crush the very, very silly LeVar ball league thing, whatever the JBA, whatever that's called. It was supposed to be like the alternative route to, to for, a, for a player. I hope everything that the ball family and Lonzo, not so much, but especially the dad ever touches, turns to ash. So uh, I hope this just destroys the, the whatever junior basketball association that they tried to uh, big ballerize.
0: I, I still want big three league, though. Three on three without oh. featuring Allen Iverson. Come on with it.
1: I'm in. I'm in for that, 100%. <laughs> Love it.
0: But that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in college sports, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this
1: week? So, I'm going to bang the drum on a guy that, you know, I, I think it's okay for for fans of a team to root for players uh, on other teams. You know, I, I Hot Take might even root for Baker Mayfield in the NFL, you know, now that he's no longer officially a Sooner. Don't quote me on that, though. Um, but, you know, there are some guys around the country who I just like to watch. I think they're fun, fun to watch, fun to see what they do. You know, I think back to some of those those Oregon teams, I think to, you know, just all the some of the LSU running backs uh, over the past couple of years with Fournette and guys, And there's just certain players who it's like, oh, he's fun to, to watch, you know, Devin Hester type. Um one of those players, and it's a weird position, um, but who I love to watch play football uh, is Ed Oliver. And Ed Oliver is a guy who, I mean, in my most pipe dream of fantasies, I thought, well, you know, eh, why doesn't he just follow Coach Tom Herman to UT? Um, you know, would have really made my dreams come true. But, I mean, he's he's probably the best player in college football and may have been for the past couple years, you know, we have those kind of hypothetical conversations of what if, you know, you could go straight to the pros in the NFL in football as well. And there's like six guys in the past 30 years who could actually do that. And I feel like Ed Oliver might be one. He's been like seven feet tall since he was 12. He's just, he's, he's a man amongst humans or he's a, a, a lion. Let's see. us use this latan. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but just yeah, a monster. Uh, I'll say it that way. Um, so a guy that I've liked, you know, I'll just I'll, I'll leave that at the intro. And and uh, a little bit of news on, on Ed is, you know, he's been making the kind of preseason circuit. And he's he's legitimately, I think, in the Heisman conversation. So he gets to have these interviews. But um, he he had a quote it was told to a couple of people. I think it was in an SI article, um, but there, there was a couple other reporters who said they heard similar things, uh, but that he really, truly wanted to be on the, the main cover of this year's Dave Campbell's Texas Football, which is, you know, an institution. Um, and, and when he found out that it wasn't going to be him, that it actually was uh, instead one Mr. Jimbo or Jumbo, I don't recall what the first name is, Fisher, um, his quote was beautiful and succinct. And he said, on Jimbo, he said he didn't do nothing but get paid a whole bunch of money. Uh, so Ed, I hope the chip on your shoulder is uh, is even even larger. You you don't play UT this year, but you do play some teams that we play. So uh, just go run through their entire team um, and and go win yourself the
0: Heisman, Mister Oliver. I think it's a new record that you took a solid forty five seconds to set up an A and M troll, oh. <laughs> like which which is just which is. Uh, maybe peak carpenter if I have to say so myself. Uh, but you know what? Uh, Dave Campbell is a Texas institution. Um, so I, you know what? I don't necessarily maybe agree that Ed Oliver should have been on the cover. Cause I think Jimbo Fisher is probably the biggest story in, in college football, at least in the state of Texas. Um, but again, anything that makes a player and inspires a player, I think it's good. And I'm glad that a guy like Ed Oliver is able to, um, invent a reason to be the underdog because there are not a ton of people that are saying anything but positive things about him so I, it, this feels less like insecurity and more like I need something to motivate me this year because left to my own devices I could rest on my laurels which I'm okay with find a way to get mad big man because I love <laughs> D-linemen that play mad. So I'm banging the drum this week on on some game day changes. So we talked earlier about Chris Del Conte and the things that he is doing with the athletic program uh, to kind of make uh, Texas the the bell of the ball uh, in the state of Texas. And so this week, they announced some massive changes coming to the University of Texas. So one of the things that, that he has seemed to really want to enhance in Tom Herman as well is... Just the the environment around Daryl K. Royal and getting fans in the seat. So this week they announced uh, what they're calling Bevo Boulevard, which is an on-campus tailgate right outside for basically four or five hours leading up to kickoff. Uh, What they're calling Longhorn City Limits, which is a concert series that will take place kind of as part of the on-campus tailgate. And then they also rolled out uh, fan-friendly pricing in the stadium where You know what? It's not going to cost $63 and a, and a pint of blood for a beer. Uh, so I'm banging the drum on the fact that this is not just a facelift to what they're trying to do, but it feels so much wholesale changes of who this program and what this program has been over the last 10 years. Um, it has, as much as i wear this as a badge of honor it's felt very elitist for a long time uh it's felt very much like we don't need to do all those things we're texas right but the butts in the seats aren't there so let's do something let's create a legitimate home field advantage let's get back to where people are coming loud staying late be oh being early and wearing orange like let's get to those things and it's sad that 15 20 years ago mac brown had to say that to get people started uh now granted all this is for naught if they can't put a watchable product out on the field i think that uh continues to be the uh, the x factor is you can put on as many concerts and you can sell as much cheap beer as you want but if nobody if the team is not worth watching then it doesn't matter, but I, as somebody who is going to be able to go to his first live Texas Longhorn game in a decade in University of Texas grounds in Austin, uh, I'm excited for these things because I was trying to figure out where am I going to tailgate? Where? What am I going to do? Uh, am I going to finally bite the bullet and pay for my Texas X's life membership that I've been wanting to for the last decade so I could get into the Texas X's tailgate? Uh, so, it, it, those are. All, it's just a cool experience where because of the positioning of where the stadium is, there's not a ton of prime uh, tailgating around it. So I think them creating a space to tailgate and them doing things to get people out to the games and make it an experience and make it a day is not a bad thing.
1: Yeah, first of all, you should get that. Texas X is a great organization. But um, <laughs> no, honestly, if, if I could have one wish this, this past week, if I could have wished for one thing, Maybe not. Maybe that's a dead thing to say, because world peace, whatever. But um, if I could wish for one thing, it would have been to have a live stream just focused on uh, on. I won't use any names, but a former uh, a former uh, athletic director with greasy hair, who uh, I could just imagine, you know, saying the uh, My God, a family of four can now afford uh, a game against New Mexico State uh, on a second week of the season without spending. $586. $586. What about shareholder value? Um, you know, I was going to announce the Geico snack bar experience pre- presented by uh, Pluckers. Um, you know, just wondering if, if people think the jet fuel, jetpack fuel grows on trees. So I, uh, <laughs> there's a, a marked and stark difference in the tone. And I go back to heart CDC, heart
0: it's it's hard not to not to heart cdc but that's all the show we've got for you this week kyle where can the good folks find you on the internet
1: I just find me on twitter.com uh, backslash kyle carpenter
0: is it really a backslash is it a forward slash is
1: this a gift is this a, a gift GIF, gif thing no one knows um, i don't
0: know it's <laughs> fine he's at tw- <laughs> twitter at kyle carpenter you can follow me on twitter i am at gh Goodrich. follow the show on twitter at longhorn pod we've got a big show for you next week it'll be our 49th and a half episode is what we'll call it uh but we'll be doing our big season preview uh and we may have some other cool things for you as well so check us out share it with your friends but again thank you so much for tuning in again this weekend until next time hook them hook em.